0: Hello, and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish, and today I am joined by another political figure, somebody who actually wrote and helped in the debate preparation for Senator Kamala Harris, joined today by Abby. <laughs> Abby, and, and uh, tell me, how did you manage to get her to, say, uh, decriminalize marijuana in that speech? Oh, it was, you know, it, it, was, it was very difficult at
1: first to do, but, uh, you know, we just put it on the prompter and, uh, next thing you know, she was saying it. You just, just got it in there. I have no idea where you come up with these <laughs> intros. I'm, I'm like, honestly, like, I, I think you actually
0: sit in your room and write these out. No, the, <laughs> the secret is that I never think of them until you hit record and then, right. and then yeah, I'm exactly. scrambling. <laughs> <laughs> you're just pulling out of
1: thin air, thin air, mystical maniche the There you go. That's, that's what he, that's what, that's what you're doing. That, uh, um, you
0: know, it's it's funny. We, we did this episode last week, literally one week ago today. And, you know, we, we were talking about the US election trade and mm-hmm. it was the context of, okay, it doesn't seem to be happening. The market seems to be cooling off, the right. cannabis market. And it was kind of like, well, it is what it is, but I hope as we get closer, something hits. Um, and or, you know, hey, even if it doesn't, we still have New Jersey and Arizona on the ballot, right? Mm-hmm. Which are which are huge positives, right? Um, and and it just goes to show you on like timing, you never know, you never know what it's going to be or when it's going to be because literally the next night uh, was the the VP debate, and and I just I happened to watch it by accident, and I just thought, oh, I'll will t- watch a little bit of this, and it was even phenomenal. though I
1: told you I was, you know. Piping up everything. For yeah, me well, video. that's why I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> I
0: mean, it was going to be a waste of time. But ac- but actually, it ended up you know being a phenomenal debate, probably better than the presidential debate, um, and single handedly revived the cannabis market mm-hmm. because you know Kamala Harris, who was a champion of cannabis, yeah. who sponsored the MORE Act in the Senate. uh Leonard looked directly in the camera and said, "We're going to decriminalize marijuana," right. and. Uh, so that was on a Wednesday night, and Thursday, Friday, Monday, all fantastic days for mm-hmm. cannabis stocks, mm-hmm. right? It, it really brought <clears throat> some life back into the sector, um, and we're going to talk about that today. This is going to yeah. be a part two to that uh, election episode.
1: For sure, for sure. And that's, this is, I mean, i got some notes over here. I've got some notes over here in, fr- in front of me, and um, I would have to say, I'm-, I'm I'm very excited for this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, we always talk about uh, on this podcast the opportunities mm-hmm. um, that can possibly happen mm-hmm. in, um, in, 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 in cannabis investing. Um but one of the things that I think we're that I'm sort of excited about is, you know, we, we took a lot of
0: questions from
1: Reddit for this one. Yep. Um, yep. and, and email these, and
0: just various forms.
1: Yeah, exactly. And some of these um some of these questions not only want to talk about the opportunities but also want to talk about how to avoid some of the pitfalls. Yeah, for sure. or what what's coming sort of or the uncertainties. There you go. Sure. That's a better
0: word. So opportunities and uncertainties. Sure. Sure. That's yeah, this this is uh this is a cool uh episode format where we're just going to answer questions. So we posted online. um, We have some from emails. um, So let's get into it. And and the first one actually is just one I wanted to address, which is, uh, you know, I've seen some confusion because uh, the Democrats now, they say decriminalize marijuana or cannabis uh, as opposed to legalize. And, you know, as we've talked about before, decriminalize would be a completely different thing. Uh, it would be, you know, not great. I think in general. I mean, what it would do, the benefit of what it would do, it would, you know, essentially, if you decriminalize, people stop getting arrested, right, for mm-hmm. for um, for small amounts of of cannabis, which is great, right. But from an industry standpoint, and from a not even just as an investor, but in terms of like actually building the right system, right. you're not really doing it by decriminalizing, right. All you're doing is just encouraging the black market. Right, right? exactly. Whereas when you build actually, when you legalize, you you have to create the framework for business, for industry, all the rules, et cetera, et cetera.
1: So would you say that it's too late to decriminalize from like an investment perspective? Because in Canada, Mm -hmm. we decriminalize first, Mm -hmm. right? Prior to any legalization occurring or any framework being written out. Mm -hmm. And then we wrote out the framework and then like legalization occurred. And and that's part of the
0: reason why the black market is, is so strong in Canada. Okay. Right. I mean, it it was historically was a very strong market anyway, but once you introduced decriminalization, you basically said off to the races, right? And one of the things I read about um, in Israel, where they're working on this right now, mm-hmm. is that they basically decided because they had two bills, one was decrim, one was legalization, mm-hmm. and they de- and they basically decided to merge them into one bill, right? Um, with the idea being, look, you really need to do these hand in hand if you want your system to succeed. Uh, so, that's that caveat, but the good news is for everybody, is that I don't think you're actually gonna have um decriminalization in the U.S. What, what's happening is the um the consultants have done all the polling and decriminalization, that word, polls the best. Right. This is this is me speculating here, but I'm fairly confident on this. Okay. So what's happening is they're saying, guys, when you say this, you have to say decriminalization because it's very hard to fight against that, right? Right. Um, but actually, when you look at the legislation they're proposing, they're proposing the More Act, right? Then they have the Safe Banking Act, which they put back into the coronavirus relief bill. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's also the States Act, which doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think what you're going to end up getting, they might say decriminalize, right? Because that's harder for the Republicans to pick apart. Right. But in reality, what they will do is they'll do some form of the States Act, they'll do the SAFE Act, uh, they'll do the MORE Act. So they will legalize, they will put in the proper framework. Um, I don't think they're just going to decriminalize. But to be clear, if they did just decriminalize and not set up the proper framework, Mm -hmm. that would be bad for investors. And I think bad overall. I think that would be a mistake.
1: For sure, for sure. It's a good sneaky way to uh, sneak legalization in. It's a Trojan
0: horse. Which one is?
1: By using the word decriminalized. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, look, you got to look at what they do, not just what they say, right? That's that's very important in politics. There you go. Uh, a- another,
1: uh, another our, our, our own uh, CNN political <laughs>
0: correspondent in the house. <laughs> um, another question in that was uh, about the FDA. You know, the FDA got involved with CBD, so CBD was legalized with the um, the Farm Act, Farm Bill, I think it was called, and. And now, you know, the (laughs) FDA is involved in terms of setting regulation, um, has totally killed the CBD industry, but Mm -hmm. ultimately will probably be good for the CBD industry, right? Because it's putting some standards on it. Um, so the question was about if we get legalization, Mm -hmm. which, uh, again, I think we'll get some kind of States Act legalization, but if we do, will this get kicked to the FDA? And then will the FDA regulate THC the same way it's regulating CBD now? Right. Um, First of all, if that did happen, that would be really, really bad. We don't want the FDA regulating THC. But I also think it's – I don't think we're going to see that. Maybe there will be some broad oversight. Mm -hmm. But uh, in general, I really strongly feel it's going to be left to the states. Okay. And also with THC, it is highly regulated, especially in the limited license states. In, you know, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, these are very tightly regulated markets. Right. The operators are held to fairly high standards, less so in those unlimited license states like California, Oregon, Washington. Uh, although California is, like, you know, decently regulated. Yeah.
1: California has a lot of regulation.
0: Yeah. But um, THC, CBD, different worlds. Uh, THC is more highly regulated, and I think it should be. Right. So I think you have... Less chance of the FDA coming in and dismantling the whole system, right? Even if you start seeing
1: it, like, w- wouldn't it make sense to bring the FDA in if because of edibles
0: uh, and and beverages as well? I mean, it's it's possible. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's possible, but I think with CBD, a big problem was people were using it as a, as a cure, putting the cure label on it. Okay, right? Um, can't do that, right? Um, so look. Who knows? I mean, again, there could be some broad oversight, but um, I just don't think they're going to go mess with this whole system. And regardless if they do, it, it's not going to be good for the sector. Wouldn't be good. No, it wouldn't be good. I mean, you could argue that longer term it's good because it will weed out kind of those lower quality, weaker players. And, mm-hmm. and But, um, you know, it could it could just – like what you can do sometimes, you can kill a se- – because the FDA doesn't move fast, right? Right. They move really slowly like you're seeing on CBD. So, uh, I mean, it's like pulling teeth to get guidance. So in the yeah. meantime, you can't do anything. You can't, you know, you're a playing by the rules and they tell you to stop while all those other, you know, black market fly by night operators are still doing it. Right. Right. So it can really kill the industry, um, in the short term or medium term, like it's doing with CBD. Right. So, uh, CBD has other problems as well, but, um, I, I don't think we're going to have that issue. And, uh, even if, they got involved. I, I think it would be a light touch, but I don't know. I hope I'm not wrong on that one. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Let's get into let's get into some questions. Um, these next few questions come from P. Mitch. Uh, P. Mitch is a avid listener. He sent, sends some nice emails uh, every once in a while. So uh, shout out to P. Mitch. Um, here we go. Do you have any data on your prediction that NASDAQ listed cannabis stocks will rise higher than on Canadian exchanges? Today, on a big up day, and this was sent a little while ago, but uh, three NASDAQ listed stocks, GreenLane, Grogen, and GW Pharma, are down. Um, granted, truly on the NASDAQ would likely be up as much as on the CSE. So, breaking that down, what he's asking is you know, I've talked about the NASDAQ being the holy grail, and the fact that on the last podcast, uh, I, I pointed out Green Lane, um, GroGen, and IIPR, and GW Pharma is also on the NASDAQ. And, you know, on an up day, the NASDAQ names were down, right? So so what do you think on, about that, Abby? Um, I mean, so well,
1: to answer that question, I, I don't have any concrete data on it, but mm-hmm. um, just looking previously in other sectors, not not necessarily cannabis. Uh, uplisting is usually good for companies, mm-hmm. uh, for, for a plethora of reasons. Uh, the most prominent one being eyeballs on the stock. Uh, more people will be watching the stock, sure. which, which translates to more investors. Um, and usually as you uplist to an exchange, you tend to go to an exchange where there's more credibility, right? So for example, uh, going from the CSE to the NASDAQ, there's a lot of hurdles on the Nasdaq that you must hit. So, for example, the Nasdaq is a price minimum your stock has to be two dollars. Right. That already right there, um, some like that. If your stock is below two dollars, some companies can't invest in it. So already you've become unattractive to to a certain pool of investors Uh, as well going into a larger exchange. um, The credibility that you add is they also want um, a little bit more stability or more track record. Uh, so again, that alleviates some of the risk of okay, is this a fly-by-night operation that might not be here tomorrow? Still, still could be the case, but you know you've got more reassurance. Okay, these guys have had um, x number of months or x number of quarters of operating experience. Uh, sure, sorry, not, not say operating experience, but like financial data. So yes, it usually does. Um, it attracts more people. It you, it's huge usually, access to capital. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's huge access to capital, and and and, and it does translate into a higher price. Um, the one thing that I do want to state when I, when I use the word uplisting here, I know uh, P. Mitch specifically talked about NASDAQ listed. Um, with that, I would say going from like the OTCQB to the NASDAQ, that's a big jump. Yeah. And that's going to add a lot of credibility. Massive. It's massive. Going from the NASDAQ to the NYSE. I, I don't think that's a. a
0: up, I wouldn't even consider that uplisting.
1: Or like fine, lateral listing, whatever you want to call dual yeah. listing or whatever. But but, like, T,
0: but TSX to the Nasdaq.
1: TSX to the Nasdaq. That's a good. That, that's a. I, I'm gonna say yeah. That's gonna add uh, volume, mm-hmm. price stability, a lot more investors coming in because a lot of people do look at the Nasdaq. Think think of it this way: If you're not a Canadian or an American listener, do you even know any other companies that are on the TSX? Like. How many companies do you know that's on the AIM exchange, for example? Yeah, right? sure. It's great like, point. And that's that's a great exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's in London. 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 It's in London. I don't even know. I don't even know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I mean, so some people don't know where the TSX is. Some people don't know where the CSC is. They they're just like sure. If you're global, so but everybody knows where the New York Stock Exchange is. Everybody knows where Nasdaq is. Everybody knows um, those ones because those are the ones that are the most sure. prominent.
0: So so look, I, I'll give you a couple things on this. Um, first of all. I'll tell you how this, how this all really came to me, right? Is that, uh, if we rewind to May, I think where, uh, Aurora came out with their Q2 earnings. Okay. And I noticed Aurora had $230 million on the balance sheet. This is a company that burns money hand over fist. And I was like, how in the world does Aurora have so much money? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, and I saw it was because of their ATM listing. So where they can sell stock directly on the exchange. And I was like, how... And they, they sold in that quarter $200 million worth of stock. And I was like, how is that even possible, right? And it was because they were NASDAQ listed. So the majority of stock they sold was was on the NASDAQ. Okay. And it was because the volume is so much higher on the NASDAQ, okay? Right, yeah. So, so these are companies... This company like Aurora Canopy is listed on NASDAQ and the TSX, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that was really eye opening to me because I didn't realize the power of the Nasdaq exchange. Because here's a Canadian company, only Canadian operations, mm-hmm. and yet it was trading, I think the ratio is about four to one, four times as much volume on the Nasdaq. Right. Right. From international capital. So uh, I thought I thought that was really interesting. And that's why I ended up investing but one of the reasons I invested in GrowGen. Cause it was NASDAQ listed. I said, this is a good company. It was a little overpriced for me. I bought it at $7 mm-hmm. when they just raised at five fifty. I was like, it's a little overpriced, 20% overpriced, but it's NASDAQ listed. I'll buy a little bit and I'll just learn about these NASDAQ listings. Right. And within, you know, we've talked about this within a couple of weeks, it tripled. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this NASDAQ thing is insane. So that really opened my eyes to the power of the NASDAQ. Okay. Right. So here's actually some numbers for you. Um, you know, there's a lot of this is gut feeling, but I, I want to give you the numbers in terms of what I see. So I looked at uh, October 8th, which is last Thursday, and I, I picked that date um, just because that's a full day of trading for both Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Canada had a long weekend, so, you know, the Friday is a little wonky. So I just picked the Thursday. Um, GroGen traded 100 million U.S. on the Thursday. Okay. Uh, and this is the day after the debate as well. So it was a, it was a good day in general. Um, IIPR, one hundred and twenty-seven million US traded in one day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Canopy, on the US side, traded two hundred and thirty million dollars. On the Canadian side, traded sixty million. So four to one traded four times as much volume on the on the uh, NYSE NICE than it than it did on the TSX. Right. Afria, recently just listed on the on the NYSE. NICE. Traded 77 million in one day versus 32. So about two to one. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, Then I compared it to GTI, right? GTI, remember, is on the CSE and the OTC, Mm -hmm. right? No NASDAQ listing. GTI traded uh, 6.75 million on the CSE and 10 million on the OTC. Right. So that was a different, that's a a little different. It's about 60% of the volume uh is on the US side, right? Okay. But just look just look for a second at these absolute numbers. GTI, which in my opinion, is probably the most promising cannabis company out there. Okay. Just in terms of, you know, being a, a green chip company that we talk about. It traded a total of sixteen, seventeen million bucks on that Thursday. Right. AFRIA, which is a good company but I would argue not as interesting to me as GTI. Yeah. Traded 100 million on the same day. Right. right. These are all US numbers. Yeah. So Afria traded six to seven times GTI. Canopy traded almost 300 million. That's right. 15 times what GTI traded. Even Grogen and IIPR, which again, these are good companies, but I wouldn't, I, they're not as good as GTI. 100 million, 127 million. Like the numbers are, are huge. They're massive. Yeah. Right, so uh, going from the CSE to the NASDAQ, to go back to an analogy we used before, it's the CFL versus the NFL. Yeah. Different leagues. There, you cannot- and the
1: CFL is not college football. It's Canadian football. <laughs> I have relatives in the states and they think CFL is college football. That's not.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that yeah. that's how when you know you're in a different league people don't know the name of the league. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, but it's true, it's true. I mean, like look, you a lot of these companies get a lot more eyeballs on the stock especially in the large on on the Nasdaq listed. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we've talked about this a million times. It you bring in institutional capital, right? Massive. Exactly. Massive. And, and that and that and that and they can move volume and they can move size and why it's important for these volume numbers um, a it provides liquidity if you need it you can you can kind of get in and out without um, uh, <clears throat> what do you call it Mo- moving the price by pushing out large block mm-hmm. um, and on top of that it usually like when you have high volume you know it can it, it's usually good for the
0: if you you know the stock can start running up a lot quicker well it's new money coming in right like like not necessarily. Well, not necessarily, but in the case of NASDAQ, right? Like, you got to oh, remember- Oh, yes,
1: yes. Going from the CSC to the NASDAQ, it is new money coming. Oh, huge right, amount. Right. But sure. even
0: just in terms of like the cannabis story has been, we've heard it a thousand times in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. We live through the up and down. I just keep saying the US is untapped. Some of the money came here as part of the initial wave, right? Yeah. Um, but there's so much money in the US and globally that is untapped for the US cannabis opportunity. So I said it before, I'll say it again. When you can put GTI or TrueLeave on the NASDAQ, yeah. oof, watch out. You are going to see some some amazing stuff, um, which uh, actually I'll, I'll bring up a different question here um, that kind of relates and ties in. This is from Songwriter. And Songwriter asks, uh, you know, do we think that pot stocks, LPs, MSOs will bubble higher than in 2018 uh, during the coming weeks because of the election and media coverage? And then will they suddenly implode again? So basically, will 2018 play out over again um, because of the election trade? Right. Right. And what I'll say is that I think people might overestimate what happens in the next two months, Mm -hmm. but they might underestimate what happens in the next two to three years. Okay. So what I mean is the election trade uh, has potential to bring in a lot of new eyeballs, a lot of new energy, a lot of new capital, no Mm -hmm. doubt. Yeah. I'm very excited, right? Yeah. Um, but again, to me, that real, like when you talk about getting bubbleishus and things getting crazy, yeah, get those U S companies on the NASDAQ because that means tons of new capital. It also means that strategic capital, you know, the, the, you know, big beer companies, whatever yeah. they can start investing and acquiring those companies. Yeah. If they're on the NASDAQ, we can buy them right Na- yeah. now. Now everything's permissible. Right. Right. So that to me when you want to talk about, you know, 2018 type of hype, that's how you get there. But do you think the same come
1: down is going to happen? Like the same bursting of the bubble? So dep- I think that's what he was alluding to. Yeah, right?
0: sure. So, so yeah, great question. So or t- she. Yeah, he or she. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, so it depends, right? So um, I, I think that people are people and there's enough kind of uh, virgin capital, let's call it, that will come in. Like stuff that hasn't been, you know, has not touched the cannabis story before. Who will probably make all the same mistakes? Who will probably buy anything with cannabis in it and just bid it up? Right. Okay. I'm not saying that uh, the exact same thing is going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. But I could see it. I you can see, see a similar result. I can see it. With a different a result with,
1: with with a different reasoning.
0: Uh, yeah. Sure. Right? Different playing field. Different. Yeah. Different everything. Right? So for
1: example, like the 2018 crash was mm-hmm. basically you had a lot of hype. You mm-hmm. had companies with no revenue pre like they were pre licensed. Right. Going off the fact that it was cannabis, it's complete Everybody, speculation. It was pure speculation. Right, you had you know, they just anyone put cannabis in their, in their names. Mining companies transitioning into cannabis, just getting their their stock up and doing whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. you're going to see that story play out in the states when this when this listing happens. But I agree with you. I think there will be a disconnect between the price and mm-hmm. the valuation um, as. The story sort of unfolds Mm -hmm. and yeah of course there's going to be a correction where like once that disc, once that gap needs to be Mm -hmm. uh filled right and so i think the price will will come down Mm -hmm. um i but i don't think it's going to be like pre-revenue companies anymore
0: yeah like again i can see a reality where things go crazy and all the Mm -hmm. pre-revenue guys or even like low revenue guys with a good story can just go crazy yeah right um by the way
1: entering a new stage or something right Entering like if a new state comes online, right. And there's like a, a like a, a company that's the, like they have the strongest foothold in that in that state. They decide to go public. They're a private mm-hmm. company that could get a nice run up. Yeah, but
0: again, that would be reasonable. Yeah, the, what we saw in 2018 was complete irrationality, right? Constellation Brands showing up, giving five billion dollars to somebody who you know had no plan, like <laughs> didn't know what they were doing, right? Yeah, yeah So yeah. I, I don't, I don't think we'll see that again because. Um, you're not going to be pre-revenue anymore. You you know, we've had time, the markets are open now. You can actually see right. what's going on. And there's
1: data now too, right? There's
0: data these are real companies. So I don't know if you'll have that wild you'll definitely I can definitely see you like there being a crazy uptick for sure. I um and then, you know, uh, you know, people coming back to reality, etc. But yeah. I don't think I don't think you'll have that same uh bubble type behavior as 1819.
1: No, cuz 1819 was green rush grant like Land grab. It Mm -hmm. was just everything that it was a. It was such a
0: confluence of events, right? Right. And on
1: top of that, here's one thing we didn't we didn't really touch about is. People were p- creating a narrative, and basically, research reports were sort of backing that narrative off of uh, um, expectations, right? Like, sales revenue numbers were supposed to be six billion or four billion. The market was six billion. Yeah, it yeah. was six billion. And like so now you can be like, okay, well, you know what? Like, in 2018, or sorry, in 2019, we did 1.1 in Canada. We're not going to do seven, eight billion. Mm-hmm. You know, probably going to be closer to three and a half.
0: <laughs> don't get me started. Got to get that in there, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this episode might go a little long, by the way, but that's okay. I think we're we're having fun. So um, closing closing on that, do I think we'll bubble higher in the – so I don't think the election rally will be the same as the 2018 rally. I, like, I don't think you're going to see that kind of behavior without NASDAQ coverage. I mean, look, things could get pretty crazy, though. Like, hey, I hope they do, right? I mean, I um, found myself in a very awkward position – in like June and July when I was holding all cash, you know, and and the market was going insane, you know, rallying insanely. And I'm like, am I going to miss, you know, the cannabis, (laughs) am I missing the entire cannabis opportunity sitting in cash? Like, and so I don't, I don't necessarily like it when the market's going up 10% a day. You know, I like it when things cool off, people get a little bit nervous and they start dumping their names and then I can kind of come in there and start accumulating. Right. So, um, who knows what's going to happen, but now I'm sitting comfortably because I've deployed almost all my cash. I've made all these bets. So now I'm like, whatever happens happens, right? Like I'm, I'm ready for the rally now. There right.
1: Yeah. You, you just sit back, relax. And, well, yeah. You know, the darts have been thrown. The blindfolds come off. You know, You're we, like, all right. Yeah. We
0: look, we can't control, right. We can't control what the market's going to do. Yeah. Um, but certainly I think we'll do well into the election rally, but even then, like, you know, imagine if Biden wins, you can imagine things going crazy, but People are going to expect, you know, things to be legal, you know, the next day. But that's mm-hmm. not how it works. Yeah. Right? It takes time. It takes you know, it's probably not something they're gonna do in their first hundred days. It could take a year. It could take more. Right? So it, there's a lot of opportunity for ups and downs. Uh okay, back to What do we leave off here? Back to P. Mitch's question is another question here. Um he's this question's about low volume stocks. And and this is a really, Abby, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So he's basically asking about the fact that, you know, if you're buying into a low volume stock, um, it, it can cost more to get out of um, because of the bigger spreads. And then, yep. you know, you have to move the stock essentially. So if you don't understand what we're saying, like, it, you know, he's ta- he mentions green lane, for example, right? So, you know, green lane is a name I mentioned a week ago. It's been on fire in the last week, but so have a lot of other things, but green lane was really trading some weak volume at the time. And what happens is, you know, if you want to buy, you know, a a bunch of it, you might move the share price up just buying it because there's not a lot of action. Or if you want to get out in a hurry, you might move it down a lot. Right. So it costs you a lot. Mm -hmm. So. Sorry, I'm trying to see the question here. Um, I guess he's asking us, like, what do we think about that? Right. What do we think about buying a lower volume stock? For sure.
1: Um, volume is very important. Okay. Okay. And and especially in terms of liquidity and P-Mitch, I think you hit it right on the head by looking at the bid ask spreads and realizing the wider the spreads, the less volume that there is. And you're obviously moving moving the price. However, though, you shouldn't solely base your investment decision based on volume because mm-hmm. that's essentially gambling and speculating. Okay? Well, well, sorry. It's uh, not-
0: just to be clear too, I think what he's saying is he might like a name, but if the volume's too low, he's like, forget it. I won't touch it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, in that case, I would say if I like a name, so um, a a, a strategy that uh, a lot of these big institutions use. So for example, like pension, Omer's pension plan wants to leave Bell Canada. You can't just dump all the Bell Canada shares, right? So what they look at is they basically look at uh, VWAP, which is like the volume weighted average price. And Mm -hmm. they pick a certain date, whether it's one day, one week, whatever. They they basically take that price. And a rule of thumb is, um, you know, you want to sell below Whatever the VWAP is, and you want to buy above, or sorry, you want to buy below, sell above. That's what it is, right? So if VWAP is like I don't know, 10 million shares, and you're trying to dump 20 million shares, you don't want to dump all 20 million shares at once, right? You, it's
0: well, kinda, you probably can't. If you trade 10 million in a day, you're trying to drop two times the volume, will yeah, crush it'll, the stock, it'll, right? Exactly. It'll 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 definitely crush the stock. Um, having
1: said all that, a good way to enter a illiquid stock is to enter in tranches. So mm. don't, so let's say be you got, be patient and be patient. Yeah. So don't, yeah. let's say you got, I don't know, a thousand dollars to put into this name um, and don't go and put a thousand dollars right into it. Maybe do a hundred here. 100 in in, in this
0: example, a thousand dollars would move like,
1: would move it, be, Yeah. Cause yeah. it's a very illiquid yeah. stock. Yeah, but right? you gotta like be, so,
0: so it's careful. You gotta be careful too when you're using numbers that small because, right. You know, if you, if you get charged $10 a trade, for example, and you break it into hundreds. Yeah. You're paying 10% commission now. Yeah, that's that that's right? very true. You got to be careful. That's very true. Yeah, but you know, a thousand bucks. Yeah, if you don't, if you can't get a thousand bucks of volume, it's a very there's ubiquity. there's probably a problem. Yeah, there is probably yeah. a problem. Well, there, I right? mean, that's that's, that's yeah. why I use thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like,
1: yeah. Fine, we can use you know twenty thousand, whatever yeah. you want. But usually, sure. if you can, but in
0: general, if you can break it into chunks,
1: yeah, that can help. That's a great way to sort of you know blend your cost, your yeah. cost base. Right. It's also
0: a good way just just to like that's one thing I've learned too is like if I like something but I'm not sure. Um, like I have an, I have an idea in my mind of what's like a bet size, like, Hey, this is like a small kind of position number that I feel comfortable with. I'll just start with half. Right. Like, so that way, if, if, you know, if the price goes down more, I can put more behind it. Um, if things go well, all right, well, you know, I didn't have as much money as I wanted in, but I still got half in. Right. Yep. So, so it's, it's really interesting, Abby, to get your, um, your input on, on volume, right? Because. You know coming from the real estate world and getting into the stock market because of cannabis I never really understood the importance of volume mm-hmm. right and it's funny there's there's a, a friend we have um, who I don't think I've talked about before but uh, wait well, you have a friend <laughs> <laughs> just the one well we'll call him uh, institutional Neil Okay. And, uh, institutional, institutional okay. And, uh, it's not his real name, but I don't think he wants to be really, he doesn't want to be, that's not his real name. Wow. (laughs) It's not his birth certificate. I thought that would be his (laughs) government name. Well, he, so he runs, uh, institutional funds, right? So that's, that's his background. And, you know, when I told him about a particular name, he'd look it up and he goes, oh, this, the volume is like way too low on this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I noticed is that, uh, if something is low volume, um, and low, it deters a lot of people. It, exactly. A yeah. lot of people just won't touch it. Yeah. And low volume, you know, in your example, right? Like you don't want to make up 100% of the volume in a day, right? No. But a lot of times, even if something is trading, you know, $200,000 of volume a day, that's considered very low volume, right? right? But if you're look only looking to invest, you know, let's say $20,000, Yeah. you know, that you're not Going to move the price necessarily, right? At those kind of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. No, you could, you, maybe, you could, you, yeah, yeah, theoretically, you right. But you could buy ten today and ten tomorrow, yeah, Right. yeah, like exactly. That trickle in, yeah, exactly. So it's not that you're making up too much of the of the price. Um, so that that's so one thing that I actually find interesting is trying to find inefficiencies that sometimes scare other people away, right? Mm-hmm. And low volume, there might be nothing wrong with the company. You're right. The company might be a really good price, might be a really good deal, but the the volume might scare people away.
1: Right, and I actually had that as a thing for for P-Mitch, uh Was that listen? If you like the company, you know it's got the clean balance sheets, it's got the proper bearish entry that you're looking for. Um, it's got you know it's a solid company. Um, you might have discovered something that the market is not necessarily looking at. Right, right or now. or
0: has just you know has seen and said has discounted or has right. like eliminated because of volume. Right. right. And I like, I do a lot of private investments in cannabis. So the volume on that is zero. Mm-hmm. You can't trade it. Right. So I don't have a problem holding for one, two, three years. Right. right. That's not an issue for me. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I do want to say that's not necessarily like it, it is zero. It's close to zero. But I, I don't, I do want to say that you can get out of privates. There are ways to get out of privates without it's called, it's, gray it's market theoretically trading. possible. Yeah. 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 It's, well, in practice, it's possible, too. Like, if you wanted to sell, you'd be selling at a discount to what you paid for it, right. for sure. So you'd right. be selling at a loss. Right. Um, it depends but it, but on it the name too, though, right? Like a lot yeah. of
0: times, if the name's not a shiny name, yeah, it's tough to move shares in in the secondary market. Like well, usually
1: management will buy it up, right? That's like, okay. that's, that's how. So, like a lot of great market trading works is like if you have a private, you call the your broker, whoever mm. the person that you got the shares from, sure. and say, "Hey, listen, like I I need to liquidate. Right. I want to be part of it. They're not gonna be happy. Don't get me wrong, but, but
0: they, they might do something. But they'll be like, okay, you know what? Sure, okay, Fair we're enough. gonna take
1: a discount yeah. to what it is, and management's
0: gonna buy it up. Right. Fair enough. So so. One of the interesting things about volume is um, I've been through a couple of IPOs now where I held private share. I mean, RTO, IPO, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I held the private shares. The company went public, and I was there on day one, right? Yeah. So I'll give you two examples, right? So one was uh, Medifarm. Mm-hmm. Invested in Medifarm in late 17. It went public in late 18. That was a hot market, hot IPO. From day one, it just went. Nuts, right, Mm -hmm. which just went to the roof. So tons of volume on that one, a lot of heat on that one. That was the time um, when people would buy these, you know, IPOs or pre-IPOs, and then the minute they went public, they would go nuts. So you're making free money. Mm -hmm. You know, you were doubling or tripling on day one, right? Right. It was phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. That inspired a lot of, you know, reckless behavior, I think, okay? Um, Then on the flip side, I invested in a company called Tricome. So Mm -hmm. we've talked about Tricom before, specialty lender, et cetera, et cetera. So I did their IPO round in February of 19, Mm -hmm. which was a very hot market. Mm -hmm. The company didn't actually go public until late 19. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which was terrible terrible market. market, Right. So night and day. So when it went public, that, uh, that company stock got no love Mm -hmm. zero. Like the volume on that thing was garbage. And funny enough, uh, I told, I told you this earlier. It's that company actually started on the venture, right? Which is theoretically a better, you know, venture exchange in the CSE. Yeah. But then they moved to the CSE, and that's when they started getting love. Right. Right. Uh, which is just an aside, but it just shows you how um, how fickle, I guess, volume is. Like volume is about whether or not people are paying attention to it, and whether whether or not they're willing to do something with it. Right. Right. So, as an example, Tricome, the RTO round that I did was two two dollars and ten cents mm-hmm. okay then when it went public you know it, it had no love and it was like maybe a buck fifty right right so it was down like a third then like almost no volume mm-hmm. so if you wanted to buy or sell you were going to move the price right and people sold as as you know over time people just wanted to get out of the name right, right? and so i saw that stock go down to a buck twenty right which essentially for this company, I, I knew it was like book value. It was right. like super, super cheap in mind. Cash value, I think. You Ca- yeah, because they had right? a bunch of yeah. like loans and stuff. So it was like almost yeah. the, the par value of the loan. I remember you and I were talking yeah, about this. Right, yeah, this is a while ago. So, yeah. and then so I started buying. Mm-hmm. And again, very low volume. Um, <laughs> Then it went down to like 80 cents. And yeah. I was like, you know, dying, right? I was like, this is, this is but the worst thing Keep in mind, this ever.
1: is just for anyone listening, keep in mind, this is like a terrible, terrible cannabis market that it's going into.
0: Also, just it wasn't the sexiest story. Mm-hmm. You know it was a very niche story. it still is like uh, you know now it's different because they have a, a LP in-house. yeah, but at the time they were just lending money to companies. people didn't really yeah you know, it wasn't that sexy to people.
1: Yeah, and uh, and remember that we came off of very frothy capital markets for totally cannabis, right so totally. Like, why do people need lending?
0: Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. I mean, the funny thing with their story is the worse the market gets, the more valuable. The oh, for sure, exactly. You know, the better loans they can place now,
1: right? And and the reason why for that, for anyone wanting to know, is um, when your stock is really high, mm-hmm. you know, you want to give up equity because you're not giving as much equ- equity. Sure. When your stock is really low, sure. you want to try to get debt.
0: Well, even the other way around, too. Like at that time in the market, people were willing to give you equity. People were lining up around the corner, right, to give you equity. And then when the market tanks, nobody wants to give you equity,
1: right, right. So and, and as a company, and you it's more expensive, want, yeah. And as a company, you shouldn't want to give up equity at that when time. yeah. When it's when if it's greater, exactly, yeah, exactly. Great exactly. Uh, but
0: but so I learned a lot from the Tricom experience because mm-hmm. what I learned was here's the stock that comes out, it's low volume, the market doesn't like it, the you know. But I I I kept in touch with the company. You know, they're very responsive. They they love talking to investors. So like yeah. you know, you know, I kept following them and following them. I said, you know, this company's real. I really mm-hmm. like what they're doing. I come from the, you know, the financing realm. Yeah. So I knew how they were looking at it. I agreed with, I liked it. Um and so I kept buying, right? Yeah. And then, you know, it gets down to eighty cents and I'm like, this is you know, I I can't buy anymore, right? I'm just <laughs> I own yeah. too much of it. I'm so scared now. Um but once so once, I, I noticed that once they started getting the story out there and people started, it started resonating with people. And really when they got on the CSE, the volume just changed overnight. Right. So finally, it, it you know, the volume went from doing like, I don't know, you know, 100 shares a day, 500 shares a day to suddenly one day they did like 100,000 shares. Wow. Okay. And from there, the stock never really looked back. Like it, it's really, it really, you know, so that 80 cents, 90 cents, whatever it was, that sub $1, um, you know, it was here today and then it was gone tomorrow. Right. But it was what I learned from that is that low volume uh, especially for the right name can get interesting because mm-hmm. those those private investors who did that deal they thought that they were going to get a double or triple on IPO. And right. they thought they were going to get out of the stock in two or three months. Right. Instead it took them 8 9 12 months to right. go public
1: and they Opened down.
0: And they opened way down. Mm -hmm. They opened down a third. They opened down half. They So like they were, at some point, these guys just wanted out. Yeah. And one guy who held a bunch of shares could completely crater the price. Right. And you on the other side of that trade- could
1: take advantage of that. You could take advantage of it. The one thing when I look when I look at a stock, you know, similar to institutional Neil, um, you look at. I, I volume is one of the first metrics that I look at uh, because usually, you know, we, we've talk, always talked about exit strategy, mm-hmm. right? You should always have an exit strategy. So when you put capital in, it the next question is, you know, when can I get my capital out? Sure. Right. Yeah. I know you don't really look at things like that. You look at it more like long term holds. But I'm always, okay, like, hey, when can I get my capital out? Mm-hmm. And if there's low volume, the chances of you getting your capital out at like a premium. Um,
0: it's slim, so uh, I'm going to disagree with you because this is my the same thing I say about basically momentum, which is that it just depends on who's looking and what's going on. So let's use like Green Lane as an example, bringing it back to Green Lane. Um, you know when when uh, Neil looked at it, he basically was like, well, this is the volume's too low for me, right right? I don't like this volume's too low. But you know, if you look at the price action of that company, it, it was a $17 IPO, yeah, which cratered. Right, right, and and eventually got down to even like sub two dollars briefly, right? So the volume was getting really low, but I think that when I look at it, the, the float wasn't massive, right? The the amount of actually free trading stock was maybe a quarter of the company, mm-hmm. um, and eventually when you get to a certain price, like there wasn't that many sellers, like there wasn't that many people you know dumping the stock, right? But there wasn't that many buyers either. So why I'm why I'm bringing that up is that. Once the once we got a little more energy in the sector, right? Like literally a couple days later, now mm-hmm. the volume's been way up. Yeah. Right. So now you've gone from doing I forget what it was like 100, 200 thousand dollars of volume a day. Yeah. To now you can do a million dollars on on Greenlane easily. Right. Now again, part of that I think is because it's a Nasdaq name, mm-hmm. so Nasdaq can bring in a million dollars like it's nothing in, on the Nasdaq. Yeah. Um, but low volume today, you get a little bit of heat, right? The price can shoot up, the volume can shoot up. Same thing happened to Virio, by the way. Okay. Virio was getting dumped by Bruce Linton, nonetheless, actually. Oh really? Um yeah. How'd you find that out? Was um, that, uh, that press well or? uh no uh Alan Broxing told me and then also um uh hedge fund Steve. Hedge oh. fund Steve was buying Virio, he was buying Bruce Linton's shares wow. in the open market, and Bruce Linton was single handedly cratering the price of Virio.
1: Did, did they did anyone say why he was? Well, he, he got like- fired. He got fired. Oh, okay. He held okay,
0: a okay. lot of the warrants. Had, oh, okay, okay. He invested okay, okay. in the company. He was up. Yeah. Right? So he was dumping pretty yeah, aggressively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Volume wasn't very high. He was single-handedly cratering the price yeah. and keeping it down. Um. And then once all those shares got cleaned up and once people started looking at Vireo again, had a huge run. Yeah. Right? Volume's up. Price is up. Right? And so I, I guess the, the long answer to this is, is I'm trying to get to like, I like low liquidity and, and when things are going down as an opportunity to accumulate. Okay. But it depends how strong your stomach is. Depends how high your degree of conviction is in the company you're buying. Yeah. It needs to be really high. It needs to be high. Um, also, you need to ask yourself, if it keeps going down, can I keep buying more? Right. Right. And and that comes to you know not putting too much in at one time. Yeah. And then- how long, how patient are you willing to be? Yeah, exactly. Right? In this example, these things happen pretty fast. Yeah. What if it took two years for people to pay attention to Mm Greenlight? Right? That's true. Like, you really have to ask yourself those kind of questions. No, for sure.
1: For sure. And that's why, you know, we prefaced this with uh, don't let volume be your end-all be-all. Use it as one of the metrics. If you like the company, Mm -hmm. get buy into it and Mm -hmm.
0: then trickle in. Right? Okay. Let's keep rolling. So uh, third and final question from P. Mitch. He was basically... Saying that eventually, um, eventually the US will become like Canada, even though it's very attractive today. Uh, eventually the, the America will become like Canada because competition will increase, more capital will flow in, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, so I would just say we did an episode about, uh, Canada versus the US and how people love the US now and they hate Canada. And, and the whole point was look, it's not about, Canada versus U.S. It's about limited license versus unlimited license. Mm -hmm. When you have unlimited license, like in Canada, like in California, um, and you have too much capital, like in Canada. And back in the day in California. And California as well. Yeah. What happens is you just get an oversupply, right? So in Canada, you grow the best flower and, you know, you sell it for, you know, not that high of a price and you struggle to get the scale. You Mm -hmm. struggle to do $5 million of sales in a quarter, really, really hard, right? In Illinois, you grow mediocre flour, you get a way higher price for selling it. Right. um, You know, and you absolutely kill it, Mm -hmm. right? So I would push back on this idea that the US will become like Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, The US system is just so different. Uh, The federal illegality and the state's rules make the system very weird. So in certain markets like Oregon and Washington, yeah, it's already like that. It might be worse in Canada, right? Right. Uh, when you look at markets like Illinois, uh, like probably what Pennsylvania is going to be like and is right now, markets like Florida, markets like where how we think New Jersey is going to be, uh, I just don't see how they're going to get oversupplied. Right. Super limited license. The capital is limited because of the federal illegality. Uh, just very difficult markets to operate in because of federal illegality. Um so all of these things have kind of conspired mm-hmm. to make it really hard and really expensive to be a scale operator. Right. And that's why, you know, there's a big four and there's probably soon to be, I say Larger, this time next year, yeah. a big ten. Mm-hmm. But there's not going to be a big fifty. Okay. I think there's going to be a big ten and maybe another five Some monopolies will be created. Yeah, oligopolies, right? Um but I, I sure, think yeah. I think you'll have ten to fifteen big scale players. Mm-hmm. Who dominate the market? Who, yeah, who do really well? And by the time you get that full federal legality where capital can flow in, right, they're going to be the beneficiaries of that, right? Right, it's going to flow to them. It's not going to flow against them. People are going to want to buy out, you know, one of the only fifteen top scale companies. Yeah,
1: for sure. And and the companies are going to be much better in terms of a cash position than, or sorry, from a financial perspective, than Canadian companies. I also agree with you on this. I don't think that um, America will eventually be like Canada uh, for all the reasons that you sort of uh, spoke on. Um, But also, um, marketing in Canada is really difficult for cannabis, right? And so, that, like, we're handcuffed. um, And I hate, as a Canadian, I, I hate saying this, but, like, we are going to be a footnote, and this isn't me, this is like a lot of people say that we're going to be a footnote in the history of cannabis, mainly because, you know, the Americans know how to do business better. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's been proven in the cannabis space and it, and it and like, you know, yeah, like angers me to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, it is what it is. It is what it is. Right. And, um, um, so, uh, P. Mitch, I don't know if you're American or if you're Canadian, but if you ever come up to Canada, visit a, uh, uh your local, you know, dispensary and just go look at. The product. Mm-hmm. Look, look at the packaging. Um, it's not appealing. It's not sexy. Plain, it's, it's plain packaging. It's yeah. plain packaging. It's nothing. Um, Comple- it's it's, it's very overregulated. It's exactly overregulation. That's what it is. And then you go to California. It's beautiful pastel colors. Mm-hmm. It's just much, much, much better. So, I think that's a big proponent to it. Um, the next thing we already talked about the capital. We talked about the limited licensing. Uh, and then lastly. Uh, I, we, I mentioned this in another episode, but Canada's frozen half the time of the year. I think I use that as an example. Sure. Um, but what what I really try to say about that is that like the Canadian economy in the winter, it's 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 a lot more difficult than it's like to to have sales. Maybe not necessarily in cannabis, but just in general, people are more reclusive in mm-hmm. Canada in the winter just because in some places it goes down to minus 40 mm-hmm. um, than in the States, right? So what I'm trying to get at with that is um, you've got, weird weather in Canada mm-hmm. right um, you don't really have that so much in America and then we and then you add the population differences in between the two so it's a larger addressable market that's addressable for a longer time of the year
0: yeah Canada just got too small of a population yeah and, and uh, way so, too much money way too many licenses yeah 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 you're yeah, yeah exactly I mean, just simplest terms possible like that's now now Mitch, to give you some credit here um, I I do think there's a possibility of what you're saying because Look, like one one thing we don't talk about um, is the risk of okay. There's, for example, let's talk about Florida. So Florida just had their vertical integration case, uh, the second hearing on it, and I watched the entire thing, which was fascinating, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can watch it too if you go on the. Uh, they stream all the Supreme Court cases now, which is a pretty interesting. But I um, think you're the only person who would watch that. The only person, yeah, yeah literally their viewership the only is one. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing it just for me, yeah, for private show, <laughs> low so, volume. So uh, see, low volume, there yeah. you go. I like low volume. Yeah. So, so I watched that whole thing, and this the Department of Health said, uh, "Look, we've issued 22 licenses, but we have another 11 to issue." and and the argument against them was hey look they don't they have never not issued a single license since they did the original 22 and they said no 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 we're going to issue these other 11 we're waiting for this case to finish so we can issue the other 11 which is like in my opinion they don't want to issue it but they're going to have to after this case right. right even in the best case scenario for the cultivators today they're going to have to issue 11 more licenses right so what's to stop them from you know, the next administration, for example, to stop them from issuing a hundred more licenses, right? So in the us, it's it's the fact that cannabis is kind of taboo, and nobody wants to be the guy or the girl who who, you know put a cannabis store on every block. Yeah, right? They don't want to get the pushback from people. so that that kind of helps the existing system, helps the operators. But like P. Mitch, to your point, you know we're talking about a, a future where, you know true leaves on the nasdaq and and big companies are investing in it, and it's normalized, mm-hmm. right? That's the ultimate outcome. That's a good outcome. Yeah. And maybe in that world, you know, the governor says, "Okay, you know what? We're going to open this market up. There's going to be a lot more licenses, right? And and it could happen in any state, right? So that's definitely a risk. Like that, from a business standpoint, is a risk. Now, look, those companies would still be out way ahead, truly, even you know all the existing players. You'd be way far further ahead than a new license coming online, yeah. right? Um, but it's a risk, but that's not really the bet that we're making today. Mm-hmm. We're not betting that, you know, Leave is going to be the dominant player 20 years from today. Maybe some people are, but that's not the bet I'm making, right? When I invest in GTI, yeah. I'm seeing a horizon of two to three to five years where, you know, this company moves to the NASDAQ, gets a huge amount of capitalization, right? And then I decide whether or not, how much I want to sell, when I want to sell, what I want to sell. Um, I I can't see that far out in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. What I, what I see, there's a like the runway that I can see. Yeah. Looks pretty good for those selected markets. Okay. Right. That's why I like to um, stick to the markets that I think I can understand because it's way easier to get those right. I don't have to be right on every market I look at. Right. Right. If I can be right on the Florida ones, I can make enough money that, you know, it's attractive for me as an investor. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. That's pretty interesting. Pimich, think- thank
0: you for the question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry,
1: no. I was gonna say uh, no. Pimich, thanks
0: thanks for the questions for sure. Um,
1: but there was another question from somebody else. Oh yeah, through- Sorry,
0: I wrote one line here. I forgot. Today is about infrastructure. Yeah. Tomorrow is about brands. Theme for another episode. But what we're investing in today is the infrastructure of cannabis. Okay. When you go into the alcohol space, there's a ton of breweries, right? There's a people know how to build a brewery. People know how to you know, make if you want to go start a brand, you don't even brew your own beer. You go to them and you say, "This is what I want." Or if you want to make a vodka, you go to a you know a distillery and they make it for you, and you just yeah. slap a label, a label on, on it. Yep. Here, you're building the infrastructure. Right. This is really early innings of the industry. That's pretty profound. you know What can I say? <laughs> <Black>.
1: it's, it's, <laughs> 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 but uh, but no. Sorry, I say there's another question that you answered as you were talking about Pimich's question, uh, and I just can't find it here. I, I think you're in talking about come this up. one, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yes, here, I'll, yes. I'll read Don't the question.
0: The so th- this was a this was a really good a good question from Eric the Great. Um, Eric spelled A I R I C K. Eric the Great. Uh, Todd Harrison frequently says, "Don't sell the winners. Come back in a few years." The investment strategy I've chosen isn't discussed discussed much on the podcast. Why does it seem like being long? uh, I think what he's saying is why does it seem like being, you know, long-term buy and hold is frowned upon? I understand it's a volatile sector and there's money to be made by trading, but trying to finesse and time the market just isn't for me. Being long puts me in the best mental state. Pick the winners. Continue to invest in them. Uh, And then he says some very nice things about the podcast. So thank you, Eric. Uh, Do you want to go first?
1: Yeah, for sure, Eric. You're much smarter than both of <laughs> <laughs> We would like to have your level of discipline, your level of patience. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. But you know, um, I take profits. I'll be the first person to admit it. I don't. I you mm-hmm. know. It's Not me. I only take thing. losses. Oh, I mean, I, I take I take more of those <laughs> <laughs> as well. Um, this is all a
0: big tax loss <laughs> right off for me. That's all. That's all this whole thing is.
1: Pretty much, yeah. No, Eric. You're you're definitely right. Um, I would really like to say that, uh, you know, everyone's investment horizon is very different. So you've got to do whatever fits within your timeline. Um, I'm going to use myself as an example. I liquidated most of my portfolio at the end of August, um, on the third week of August. Um, You know, I had a big uh, expense coming up. So I bought a condo, I needed to liquidate for it. And that's what I was investing for. Um, So, you know, you're right don't sell the winners, come back in a few years. But if you looked at my my situation, mm-hmm. I had to sell to get it, right? So it didn't matter where, where the stocks were. I mean, you know, I luckily sold at a, at a, at a decent thing, and mm-hmm. the markets pulled back after after, after I sold. Um, I mean, what I would have to say is just sort of given... So, so taking that aside, the long-term buy and hold strategy would, would, would definitely make sense. But I'm just going to put a little asterisk on here, and it's because... Um, the best strategy to use in cannabis is to be nimble, right? And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I say that because it's a nascent industry. It's very, 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 very volatile. There is a lot of inefficiencies here. You can scoop these up and yes, Todd Harrison is right don't sell the winners, come back in a few years.
0: Well, it's also easy to say don't sell the winners, but, you know...
1: How do you know who the winners are? Yeah, exactly. That's what I I was going to get to, right? right? How do you know who they are going to be in the next little bit? Because imagine last year, we had this exact same question. Or two years ago, we had this Mm -hmm. exact same question in 2018. We would be like, you know, I mean, at, at that time, maybe Canopy and Afri and Aurora were already sort of people were sort no, no, to see eight, the cracks eight, in the foundation. No, no,
0: 18 was like the glory days. 18 was like, look, Canopy might be expensive, but you know it's going to be here. Yeah, right? exactly. It's yeah, got $5 you billion. Go. You know it's going to be here. Right, exactly. Right? How in the world could they burn $5 billion? Oh, quite. Hold uh, my beer. Yeah. <laughs> Hold my cannabis infused seltzer.
1: Yeah, that's what that's what Canopy said. But so exactly right. So don't um, don't the long term buy and hold strategy. Yes, it's it's a good investment strategy. Mm. You need to you need to have a lot of you need to have high conviction behind the company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, because of the volatility and the inefficiency that you see in this, take the profits because mm-hmm. you could probably still get in to mm-hmm. that company um, at a lower price. And just because you're selling the company that day does not necessarily mean just because you're taking profits does not mean you don't like the company. Yeah. Right. That's the other thing about the whole trading strategy. So you don't necessarily when Todd's saying hold the hold the the, um, sorry, don't sell the winners, come back in a few years. I really think he means like don't discount the winners in the sense that, okay, once I sell, I'm never going to buy them again. You know, no, no,
0: I kind of take his point. Right. Like like same thing. in so so this is this is a couple of ideas here that I want to put together. And one of the things that's been kicking around my head is this idea of we might be in the golden age of cannabis investing. And that sounds incredibly bullish. Um and it is. But I, I want I want you to understand what I'm saying is that To me that sounds bearish. We're in the golden age of cannabis. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is like the the peak. No, no no. This is the golden age. Like the reason it's the golden age is like like I've heard Warren Buffett talk about, you know, in, in a particular decade, I can't remember what it was, um, equities were out of favor. And you could go through like a book of equities, um and you could find things trading at you know, two to three times earnings. Right. Right? So think about that. Like a PE yeah. of two to three. I mean that's mind boggling. Yeah. Right? That means you're making your money back in two years, three years. Yeah. And the earnings were growing. Yeah. Right? And so at the time, all of the investments he looked at, like everything is relative, right? So he looks at one that's a two PE and one that's a four PE and three PE, and you go, why would I buy the four PE? I could buy two, right? Yeah. So um but what what he didn't realize is that You know, ten years later, the the multiples would go way up. Yeah. So the two PE you couldn't find you couldn't even find a four PE now. Four PE would be a bargain, right? Right. Everything's now eight eight times the multiple. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, right? I mean, this this is back in the seventies or something, right? But the point being that now when he looks the hindsight, he goes, Wow, that was a golden age of investing. That was Mm -hmm. a golden opportunity to buy equities because they were so out of favor, so unloved that basically anything. Not anything, but you could buy some real good value right? Um, in e- in even the most obvious of names. Right. Right? So that's what I mean by golden age of cannabis. Uh, okay, okay. I-, I think when I look at GTI
2: mm-hmm. trading
0: only $20 million on a good day, right? On a good day. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean it can't go down. It just means I think that there could be a point in the future where we look at these things and we'll be like, wow, I can't believe the deals I was getting. Right. Right? And And I feel that way right now in some of the private deals I'm doing. I feel, wow, this is really good value that I'm getting, right? right? I could be wrong. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, to to Eric's point here and Todd's point is that, you know, you could come back, you know, if you, if you put that to the side, in two or three years, some of these winners, the companies that emerge as the best, you know, you might look at GTI today and say, well, it's trading at, you know, it's valued at $3 billion US. Right. Way too expensive. I'm not saying that, but you might say that, yeah. right? But, you know, if this ends up being a top three cannabis company in the U Oh yeah, S you're laughing. It could be a $20 billion company. Yeah. Right. And it could happen very quickly. The Mm -hmm. paradigm could change very quickly. And this happened in commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. I talk about this all the time with industrial, but Toronto real estate in general, right. When I started in the industry in 13, um, you know, people thought real estate was trading at a high because the interest rates had come down. And what happened over the next six or seven years, uh, Real estate continued its bull run. Rates continued to come down. Uh, but also Toronto became more in favor. Global capital started coming to Canada and Toronto mm-hmm. in particular. Okay. Um, and certain asset I mean, all asset classes benefited, but especially certain asset classes like industrial. Right. Cycled for being out of favor to in favor. Right. right. And people started looking at it as, oh, this is, this is really blue chip. This is something you want to own and give to your kids. Yeah. Right. So... You know, if you bought something back in the day, like those prices are so gone, you can never get something that cheap again. Right. Right. But P- potentially, mm-hmm. but but probably you can never get things that cheap again. Right. That's that's what you know. Don't sell the winner, even if it looks like it's a little high today. Hey, just hang on. You don't even know what this is worth yet. You don't know. You don't understand. In five years, Facebook can go from being worth yeah, you know a hundred billion dollars to like yeah five. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. So I, I feel what he's saying. I, I hear his point. Yeah. And it's definitely something I've been thinking about. Yeah. However, I'll also say that it's really important to think about all the different risks and all the bad stuff that can happen. Right. So we talked about the FDA. We talked about, you know, how, what, the, what happened with CBD. Yeah. We talked about, you know, what happens if, if more licenses get issued. These are all really big risk factors. Exactly. That's what
1: I said earlier. It's not only about the opportunities, but also the uncertainties.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So I do think it's important to take money off the table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm not saying you should just sell something because it goes up 20%. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, you know, if if things really rip, I do think it's okay to take some money off the table, hedge, take some cash, and, and wait. You can play the ups and downs. Maybe that's not for you. Right, no, May- exactly. Maybe you are better off if that helps your mental state, making better decisions. Great, buy, you know, buy, add to the winners. All I'm saying is, don't be afraid if things start going crazy to take money off the table.
1: Right, I agree. I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and uh, you know, what? yeah, that that's uh, that, that. You know, Eric, that was actually a really good uh, good quote there. Don't sell the winners come back in a few years. Um, It'd be interesting, Eric. You know, you don't have obviously don't have to do this, but um, you know, who do you think the winners are? And maybe in a few years we can kinda of come back and look and see, hey, are they still the winners? right? That's a great so, point. If you yeah. ever want an opportunity, here it is.
0: Yeah, there you go. CIN podcast at gmail.com, Eric. The the other thing too, actually, um, is you know, when you when I go back and listen to episodes that we did, you know, a year ago, mm-hmm. eighteen months ago, the people I thought were gonna be winners, you know, like I had a decent amount of money in Ianthus. MedMen, Harvest, right? Now, luckily, these weren't the biggest positions. And and luckily, I changed my mind and I sold them. Yeah. But like I thought they were going to be, you know, pretty decent winners, right? So it's hard to see. Like now the market's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So we have good visibility on EBITDA and cash flow and markets. But it just goes to the point that things change so quickly, right? Like, I mean, imagine if you had just bought, you know, in 17, the quote unquote best companies,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, it would have you know it would have gone horribly. Yeah, you
1: probably own MedMen. I am this.
0: I mean, back yeah. you probably own you know like you probably would have bought Aurora at the peak or whatever. Like yeah, Aurora right you, yeah. You know, you, but uh, you know, a free would be okay at least right. But I mean, some yeah. of these names you could be down eighty percent right. Like yeah, it, it it could be really bad. So. Next question. Uh, oh, this is a fun one. A lot of people have asked about this. What would the impact of safe banking? Passing be on the reits, okay. So I'm gonna sa- you take that one. Safe is the safe is the banking act. Uh, it would give safe harbor for the banks. So now they could bank cannabis companies. They could lend money to cannabis companies. And I think eventually, if they tweak it a little bit, they can um, they can raise equity for them and put them on the Nasdaq, which is where I get really excited. Uh, although the current iteration wouldn't allow that, but I think I think they'll get there. So what would it do for REITs? Because REITs like IAPR have been providing a ton of capital to these companies for their cultivation facilities and their dispensary, but mostly cultivation. Um, So would it be positive? Would it be negative? Yeah, probably. But maybe not as negative as people think. So, you know, in Canada, for example, it's fully legal. Anybody can bank cannabis companies, which they do, but uh, they can lend money to cannabis companies too. And they did a little bit, you know, they, they did a decent amount, I can tell you right now, they they're not lending money to any cannabis companies. They're so underwater on some of these cannabis companies, they are hurting badly. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think the Canadian banking sector is, is really thrilled about lending to cannabis. Um, now, the U.S. is different, way more competitive, more banks, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you still have this problem. Of you need so much capital to build out a cultivation facility, yeah. So, like, let's say that, let's say the facility costs you forty million, right? And the bank will give you seventy-five uh, percent, which would be really, really high, right? Um, you still have to come up with twenty-five percent, which is ten million dollars, right? So, you know, maybe the bank gives it to you at six percent, right? And IPR would charge you twelve percent. Well. You know what is the cost of capital of that ten million dollars of equity you have to raise? Right, right. Like mm-hmm. it's not it's not that simple, essentially. Yeah. So don't expect safe to pass, and then suddenly everybody to get bank mortgages. Right. They, and, you, and
1: usually sorry, and the going mm-hmm. rate for equity raises on the street is about eight percent.
0: Just the the, the cost. Like, yeah. Exactly. Right? Not not to. That's like, not
1: including like road shows and all that stuff. That's no, just but like the yeah, actual but pers- finder's fee. That but you can.
0: even if you look at your equity and you're like, hey, my company's going to double in two years right yeah if you give away equity oh sorry yeah yeah, yeah. that's you know, what you mean your yeah. cost of capital your equity is very high yeah so so to do that just to put it into your cultivation facility yeah you know i don't think it makes the most sense right it's true so i don't think safe is going to be a REIT killer in the short term maybe even the medium term mm-hmm. over time like yeah companies like gti like True like yeah they're going to get they're going to get bank financing Yeah. it's going to happen for sure um but by the way where's where is the bank financing going to go first like if banks are comfortable with commercial real estate backed by cannabis it's going to go to the REITs yeah right the I REITs- never even thought of that actually that's that's a really good thought process like, there the, well I've, ta- yeah. I've I've ended up investing in, in one of these REITs yeah. um, a private one because like I couldn't stomach buying you know IPR at, at the value it trades at mm-hmm. Um, and like yeah it makes all the sense in the world like these guys have a hundred million dollar portfolio the one that I'm invested in and they've got no leverage yeah so like like, why wouldn't, if a bank's going to invest in cannabis or, or lend to cannabis real estate, they can lend to them at maybe 30, 40% leverage, mm-hmm. you know, at a very reasonable rate, four, five, 6%. Yeah. Right. And they're, so they're going to be a beneficiary of that. Longer term, there could be, you know, I could see there being an issue. Yeah. Once the capital is flowing more freely, I could see there being an issue. Right. Right. But, I'm not too fussed about it, let's say, but I also mm-hmm. haven't invested that heavily in the REITs either.
1: So. Right. Yeah, that was that was, uh,
0: that was really well said. Um, Build Sock. I don't think I have that one. Um yeah, it's right here. Uh, which marijuana beverage has had the best taste by the largest uh, of consumer surveys, and when do you think they'll be available in the USA? So, uh uh, fun question. Um, first of all, largest of consumer surveys. There's not like I I would almost disregard any consumer survey.
1: Well, there there was that. There's a cannabis beverage expo that happens in California. A beverage expo. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it happened last year in California. I remember I met one company that won the best tasting cannabis beer. Um, was, was it La- Lagunitas? No, it wasn't. It was uh, the name of the company. Uh, I think it was like Global Life or something. It was like the parent company. Sure. They had like a cannabis brand. I can't remember what it was, but they 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 like proudly went around saying, we won this, we won this, mm-hmm. we won this. I, I never checked if they actually did or not. <laughs> like I, I, I wouldn't even know how to it check. It was held
0: in their basement, the, uh, the <laughs> event. <laughs> no,
1: but um, I asked the guy, um, CEO of the company, I said, well, like what made you guys so different than everybody else in terms of like the winning uh, of like of whatever? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you know. Like, we
0: paid the judges the most. Pretty much. <laughs> it wasn't that way if we
1: paid the judges the most. It's like we had like we were. <laughs> he, he said, well, hey, we have like an exceptional product, blah, 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 etc. et cetera. Um, and then you looked at their booth and their booth was like three size, three times the size of everybody mm. else's booths. They were like the first one in. And like he looked at the number of votes that like people like drank. People that drank that. Beverage the most, so it's just like people just drank that one, and then when they right. to go vote, they just remembered it. Interesting. Okay, so, so it's
0: promotion essentially it was promotion. So yes. just further to your point, you know, interesting surveys. Surveys are the surveys. Yeah, take yeah.
1: take with, with, with it what you want.
0: Yeah, well salted. Uh, take it, <laughs> take it well salted. Uh, look. Uh, oh, was, I thought I thought I saw you like your drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh My God. <laughs> um, th- look, uh, the, the the way the question is posed, it kind of assumes that you know we're talking about Canadian beverages. And then you know the best Canadian beverage is going to get shipped to the U.S. Eventually, right? probably not going
1: to happen. So the best U.S. beverage is going to get exactly, shipped to Canada, right?
0: So let me let me answer this question. So basically, when you look at the beverages, I've tried almost all of them in Canada, right? And there's there's a ton now, super competitive space. Sales are very very small. I think in Ontario they did like five million cumulatively. On the uh, I think across all Ontario, but there's a reason for that. It's not necessarily mean the po- the product is not popular.
1: Mm-hmm. You pointed it out. You can't go and buy a six pack of beverages. Yeah, like a lot of problems. One, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that's that that's a more of a regulation issue. Totally. I still th- I I mean like look I I'm still a big believer in beverages. I think beverages are going to be the evolution of of the industry.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So look, I'll, I'll give you a couple of shout-outs here. So um, canopy, which you know that was they were really putting a big flag in the ground with beverages and mm-hmm. constellation. Ha- Behind them, I was like, "Oh, these guys are really going to figure out the beverages." Um, their beverages have been okay; they haven't been anything amazing. Um, you know, the the actually the best ones have been the house plant ones, the uh, so lemon and grapefruit sparkling water. Those mm-hmm. turned out really well. Yeah. Uh, their deep space, which is like their ten milligram one, it's probably the most disgusting beverage I've ever tried. Which uh, it's a little black can. Oh, so
1: this is not this is uh, this is still a house plant, but it's not like the no, no, it's
0: canopy, It's canopy.
1: Oh, canopy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, sorry, what, what was the the house plant one you're talking about? Uh, that's a sparkling water. Also, it's owned by Canopy. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's okay, also okay. owned by Canopy. Um, but the deep space is atrocious. Yeah. Um, Hexo has actually had the best drink so far. So they've got a JV with Molson Coors called okay. House of Terpenes. Okay. Uh, they've got a. I think it's called Trust is the overall name, but yeah. then one of their brands is called House of Terpenes. Um, and I've, I think they have one that's lemonine flavored. That one's actually pretty good that I've tried. Um, kind of sounds like an Italian soda. Lemonine? Lemonine, lemonine. like, an you know, Orangina. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Lemonine's the name of the terpene.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Does it have a lemony taste? Yeah, it? yeah, it's quite
0: yeah. nice, actually. Yeah, it's quite nice. Um, then they they also came out with these uh, another brand called Very Well, and that's drops. So you can put it in your drink as much as you want, and that's actually really cool, too. Um, is but, that what I saw
1: you just slip it <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a little tongue fresher uh, no but look I mean all of this is to say that um, you know this is one of the challenges of being a retail investor is that you sometimes only see what's available to you yeah and you know the best beverage is not in a public company in my opinion yeah yeah, right the know. best I'm seeing really cool beverages in the US mm-hmm. some of them it's still pretty nascent Um but you know Hexo has really cool beverages i don't think they're going to win in the us right and even winning in canada in quotes means you're going to make a couple million bucks like the revenue's not there in canada um whereas i think in the us the beverages will eventually do really well right and so if i'm going to give some shoutouts here the best uh, beverage in terms of effect and flavor is uh, the atlas powder mix which i've we've talked about before from yeah. california uh, pomegranate green tea beverage. Uh, I'm an investor in Atlas, by the way. Um, microdosed, which is key. Uh, full spectrum, which really like, really good taste. So is this, wait, is this three different beverages? No, no, that's all one thing. I'm describing the beverage, it being microdosed and full spectrum. and. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: I thought I thought microdosed was the brand. <laughs> and it's like, this is full spectrum. I was like, wait, are we not talking about Atlas anymore? No, so
0: that's Atlas. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I think the winner, to be honest with you, will be Can. CANN. Uh check out their social media. Phenomenal. It's very meta name. Yeah, Can. very Well, it's called the funny enough the company is called Cannon Bottle. Cannon Bottle. <laughs> Cannon Bottle. I like that. It's a good name. Um and uh talking to them about investing uh, as a private investor. Uh really really cool company. Um good beverage, actually really good beverage. Uh but solid branding, great strategy. I think that they'll get themselves in a lot of key markets kind of ahead of everybody. And I think that when the time comes, I think that um, uh, I think they will be a dominant brand. I, th- I think some big beer company will come buy them out uh, for, you know, it, it, something which is, you know, for them will be a big win, but, you know, compared to like the market cap of canopy or Hexo would be small. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. even if you were to buy Hexo at today's valuation, uh, with all of their issues, yeah, and their beverages are, f- you know, fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, you still, you still are not set up to make good money on that, right? Whereas if you invest in this private company with a much lower valuation and I think a much better path to winning, right, right, you can you can do really well, right, right. So I, I, that's that's how I look at that. Okay, gotcha. Same interesting uh, outlook from Buildsock. Um, another question uh, he asked about. You know, state by state, what happens if legalization happens? Who's the best set up to win? Basically, who benefits the most? Um, so, look, this is a this is a much longer answer, and I think this deserves a whole episode in itself. Um, but what I would encourage you to think about is that New Jersey and Arizona; these are the two big markets that we've mm-hmm. talked about, right? Yep. That That will vote. Um, New Jersey's a lock, in my opinion, and also has a bigger prize attached to it. Because it's a nascent market, Arizona is already a very developed medical market. So even if they get that, less of a pop they're going to get from that. Right. Okay. Right. Um, so New Jersey is more worthwhile of your attention, in my opinion. Uh, Cure Leaf's the biggest player there, uh, but almost all the MSOs have a presence in New Jersey. So um, I mean, you go down the list, right? Like yeah. GTI, uh, Cure Leaf's the biggest player. Um, Ascend Wellness, which is a private MSO, uh, Verano. Um. Uh, not Cresco actually, but uh, Um Acreage even has New Jersey. So of all those companies, so so you have to start asking yourself not just who's in the state, but what does being in the state mean? Right. What does the operation look like? Right. How is the state set up?
1: That's the most important I would say.
0: So in New Jersey, if you have a vertical license, mm-hmm. that's the best license you can have. And it gives you one grow and three, uh, three retail. That's it. That's it. You can't go buy a bunch more retail.
1: That's smart. I like that. I like that. It's an interesting model, right? Yep.
0: You're capped, so each store, in my opinion, will be very, very valuable. Each grow will be very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have to look at okay, Curaleaf's a dominant player, right? But Curaleaf is a five-six billion dollar company.
2: Yeah.
0: So, how will New Jersey move the needle for them, right? Like that—that's kind of what you have to think about. Yeah. Right. So, uh, then you go to okay, what is, how much will this move the needle and how big is their market cap? Right? right. Um, interesting thing with New Jersey is I think eventually we'll get Pennsylvania and New York as well. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and then New York, a lot of MSOs are in New York, but Virio, for example, Virio has a tiny market cap and they have a pretty good position in New York. Mm-hmm. So that's a company that if New York hits, you could see that company doing really well. Yeah. Right. Um, Pennsylvania is more of a fragmented market uh, but Terracent has New Jersey and Pennsylvania it gets pretty interesting yeah, right uh, so so it, it just depends on the state. it depends on the nuance. We're gonna do a whole episode I think at another date kind of sure, breaking yeah. that down but mm-hmm. just high level those are the four markets I'd keep my eye on. and in terms of attractiveness, I'd go New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania New York, maybe tied. New York is probably ahead. So New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Arizona. Okay. Um, Opposite day. What are your thoughts on options trading? Uh, The U.S. MSOs are off limits because there's no options on the CSE. Um, But when they uplist, how does derivative trading affect a stock? Uh, And then also asking about LPs which you can buy options on. So I don't know much about options trading. I'm going to hand this one over to you. I, I'll be honest. I
1: don't know. I don't know much about options trading in, in cannabis as well. Options is a good way to protect on the downside and get and sort of leverage on the upside. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel comfortable commenting too mm-hmm. much on it on here. No Just, comment. Yeah, no comment. Exactly. Um, so I'll tell you
0: about options. So I, I started looking into them, um, and I did my first options trade with Village Farms. It trades on the NASDAQ, so you get... Yeah, didn't you lose a bunch of money on that? L- lost a ridiculous, <laughs> amount, of ridiculous <laughs> amount of money on that. Ridiculous um, amount of money on that. So I, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Right. That being said, I did learn a lot about warrants, right? Oh, and yeah, warrants,
1: warrants I know a lot about.
0: But options, but no, sorry, but options trading, if you think about it, warrant trading is not that dissimilar, right? Yeah, warrant trading is not that... Well, warrant trading is, I mean... it's a Warrant it's, is essentially an option, right? Yeah. To buy a stock at X dollars until X time. Right, right, right? yeah. And like... So I learned a lot about that, and when we talked about air strategies, which you brought to our attention, you know, we looked at it, dug into it, talked to the management. I said, you know what, this is interesting, but I'd buy the warrant over the stock, right? Right. Yeah, you did
1: mention that, and then yeah. the
0: stock has doubled. Yeah. Right. The warrant has probably gone five x. Yeah. Right. So, so I do understand that in a market with some a great amount of inefficiency, mm-hmm. there is opportunity to make really good money in warrants. Yeah. So I imagine the same is true on options. Right. i just don't know how to do it myself
1: yeah options trading has been i had a friend one time show me a little bit and he said you wanted you want to trade around earnings season and i've done it once or twice i made a little bit of money on it but like like nothing mm-hmm. crazy i just never really got into it i know mm-hmm. there's something called quadruple witching which means all <laughs> the options expire on one friday or th- yeah one friday of a mu- of of like a quarter i don't know i don't know anyways it's it's like a whole weird world
0: but warrant trading well yeah i know i know quite a bit about and well look in just in general this is not our, we're not the guys to answer this question. No, we're not but I think you know if we go back to warrants, um, when you have this inefficiency in the market, it creates a lot of opportunity to do some really interesting things, right So warrant trading can be a high leverage way to invest. yeah, right I like it. it's interesting. I wouldn't bet all of my money on it, but in the right spot it can be really interesting. yeah, warrants
1: are a great hedging strategy. I would say, especially, or I guess, leverage strategy without the actual leverage, mm-hmm. um, like like with yeah, their strategy, exactly. uh, it's it's a great uh, way to participate on the upside for a lot of deals. I mean, a lot of my warrants that I own, when I participate in a private placement, uh, one of the, in order to incentivize me to come in and uh, any any shareholder for this matter, they provide warrants. Yep, mm-hmm. and the warrants have a certain expiry. Some of them trade on the market. Some of them don't trade. Uh, and again, you can always trade an untradable warrant through gray market trading, you just take a little bit of a discount. Uh, it's a little bit more of a convoluted strategy. Um, but but it is possible. The way that I like to look at warrants is, for example, let's say if I invested in a, in a company, um, and it's done quite well, let's just say it doubled. Okay, so I buy it, it doubles. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? I think like this is as good as the company's gonna get, but mm-hmm. I don't want to miss out on it. Mm-hmm. If I have a warrant, I'm comfortable selling that. Position. You'll sell the stock. Keep I'll the sell warrant. the warrant. Yeah, exactly. I'll sell yeah. the I'll sell the stock. Keep the warrant, um, and then um, I'll ride it out. And if the stock does even mm-hmm. better, I'll I'll exercise the warrant. If it doesn't do better, I've already made. And if sure. it goes to zero, I've already made my money on it, anyways, right?
0: I'll, I'll give you another one. So um, this is actually somebody you introduced me to, but uh, truly. So so back you know a year ago or something truly was spiking and it got up to like seventeen bucks let's say right mm-hmm. so it went from ten dollars to seventeen yeah so you know you make a bunch of money and somebody basically said look these warrants are mispriced yeah they're they're so, owned- can we give him a name as well like we had no, no, no. He's not, no 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 he's not no no he's he's not going to be a recurring character so. <laughs> he's not a recurring yeah, character yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the point being that he goes look the warrant's three bucks and the yeah. strike price is seventeen right the share the the stock's up to seventeen. Right, so he said, "Look, sell the stock, take your seventeen dollars, and for every share you sell, buy a warrant." Mm-hmm. Right. So basically, you're paying three dollars for the warrant. Right. Mm-hmm. You're taking seventeen, so you're netting out fourteen. Let's say you paid ten originally, so you're netting out four instead of seven. Yeah. But you're keeping the warrant now. Right. Yeah. The warrant's got another two years on it. If this thing goes bananas, right, you that still exercise, you yeah. still share in the upside. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you're mitigating a bunch of risk. Yeah. Right. So you're putting money in your pocket. You're sharing in the upside. You're mitigating risk. So that was a pretty cool strategy. Yeah, and, and that, that's the one strategy, though. Yeah, but the the key is because of the inefficiencies in cannabis, you can get a deal that you probably wouldn't get if it was a more traditional, uh, if it was more traditional capital or more traditional uh, company. Right. Right. Those warrants, for example, those seventeen dollar warrants, they came from uh, the debt financing. I know because I did some of the debt. I got some of the warrants for free. Right. So people might just dump them. Yeah. Right. Because it's free money to them. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So so that's that those kind of opportunities are interesting.
1: Yeah. Exactly. That is that that's yeah that's a that's a great strategy.
0: Uh, opposite day. Another question: Which large Fortune 500 company may have an interest in jumping into cannabis? CPG, tobacco, pharma. Who do you see partnering with whom and why?
1: That is a question that you could do a whole series on. Yeah,
0: seriously. Um, Uh, Great question, though. Who is that from? That's opposite day. Yeah, opposite day. So, uh, look, good question. That is, I think, a a whole series right there. I would just say in general, uh, I mean, I think you you hit it on the head, CPG, tobacco, alcohol, pharma. Um, All
1: are, uh, I would like to say all are going to enter the space.
0: Yeah, I think alcohol is just the easiest, like you can just draw a straight line from alcohol to cannabis. So yeah, tobacco as well. Tobacco, yeah, I, I think yeah. both of those are. And in Europe,
1: pharma, like Europe, the Europe st- story is taking more of a pharma pharma approach.
0: I I think that'll be a slower, for slower sure, role, for sure. right? I, I think I think tobacco, alcohol, those are big money names, big money brands. Uh, I mean, they've already entered, right? Altria, Can- Constellation, It just mm-hmm. hasn't gone well, right? But yeah. but uh, on the U.S. side, you're definitely going to see those names get in. I think they'll get in first. Yeah right uh, now which ones i mean you just go down the list of the biggest companies and you could you'll probably see the guys in the middle especially the ones who are more private yeah right like the arizona ice tea family private family they yeah. got involved with dixie brands right uh, or tried to they did some kind of some kind of option or warrant None uh, they had an option to purchase an right. investment in that company um so i think those are the types of companies you'll see i think cpg you know, it's it's going to be a little more, you know, the bigger the company is, the more risk adverse they're going to have to be. Right.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. I can I can see that. And I think, um, well, yeah, obviously, alcohol and tobacco have already come in. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think CPG will come in. Um, but I think they're going to come in sort of like what we talked about with alcohol, where if you wanted to make a, like a vodka brand, you know, they'll come in in your uh What's that I, I analogy? A, analogy, yeah. Mm-hmm. In your analogy, you said we we're building out the infrastructure, and then later comes the brand. I think CPG will come in when the and brand do the are, brand. Yeah, yeah, that's when it'll come in. They right? might
0: not even want to own the infrastructure.
1: No, I don't think. They, I don't think that. Like they don't. Why would they? Right? They 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 know how to create a brand. They know how to create a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They don't do all that stuff. They can just
0: outsource everything else and just put their label on mm-hmm. it. And I, th- I think that's when CPG will enter in. Um, I could see them investing. You know, making a real partnership you know because they want to have a flag in the ground and like especially if these companies have great economics mm-hmm. i think they'll want to be a part of that
1: oh for sure i mean yeah, yeah once these companies start to prove out but i think the economics will come mm-hmm. during the brand aspect as opposed to the infrastructure i think all the the headwinds and arrows in the back and all the fighting is going to be done in the structure. It's happening right now. Yeah. It's happening exactly. right now. Exactly. Exactly. Wake up every morning, getting ready to fight. Yeah,
0: exactly. So so look, that's a short answer. Long answer is a whole another episode, but that, that's a great question. Yeah, excellent question. Uh, last question from Opposite Day. What single MSO has the strongest share structure for shareholders? Interesting question. Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, I'll give you a, just a quick non-answer, which is um, the best share structure I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Ianthus.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: So, so funny enough, Ayantis converted all of their classes of shares into a single class. Okay. So everybody had the same shares, mm-hmm. right? So you know, if you look at that, you go, "Wow, what a great company!" You know, make me feel real comfortable as an investor, right? And then, yeah. and yet, look at where it's it nine is nine cents, right? Look, yeah. look at what's happened to it, right? Yeah. Um. So the capital structure was wrong because of the debt, but the share structure was very good. Right. So I would just caution you, like. You know, I mean, GTI, for example, does not have a very friendly share structure in that. You know, Ben Kovler gets to make all the decisions, right? Same as Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg gets to make all the decisions. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I don't know if you'd like that comparison, but the the point being that
1: hey, Mark Zuckerberg has a one of the I mean, biggest one companies, of the, yeah, yeah, one of the
0: one of the you know yeah. best tech companies in the world, He's right? The
1: F in Fangs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so similarly, like you know as a gti shareholder i feel very comfortable with ben kobler at the helm right right i mean sure i don't maybe my vote doesn't count as a as a shareholder your vote counts <laughs> don't worry every vote counts <laughs> but you know that that's not necessarily a, a huge issue to me so it it, it depends on who's depends on who's at the helm
1: i mean look for me share structure is very important when you're getting in really early on um as I tend to invest in a more mature company, I typically know that you know previous raises have been done. Management owns certain amounts amounts of shares. I'm usually I'm really more in it for the profits as opposed to like mm-hmm. the company itself. But what, when you're investing in like a private company, share structure is extremely extremely important. that's what we always say when you look at a pitch deck, especially for an early stage company. Flip to the back, see the see the capital structure, see the, see the cap table mm-hmm. to see where you fall um, within the share structure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, so I mean, I don't I don't know they put with for, for the msos i'm, I'm not sure which, which it depends, is, like, depends on the company
0: but yeah like i said i just had the one class of shares most of them don't have that if
1: you yeah. haven't realized by now my favorite msos air strategies because like, <laughs> my biggest win so i'm gonna say them, but manisha doesn't like them for the war and overhang
0: <laughs> okay um last two questions here let's bring this home so uh ziba asks what is the biggest risk to cash flows going forward for these companies um, and what is one thing going on behind the scenes that investors should know? Uh, biggest risk, I think we already covered, which is basically, you know, these, these big changes like, you know, the FDA getting involved, like structural changes really in the business, right? The, uh, new licenses coming in, new regulation coming in. Um, I don't think there's too many, honestly, in, in the short, medium term. In the U S no. In the U S no, Right. Yeah. But those would be it. Like yeah. if, if you had a big, uh, structural change. Um, what should people know? I actually ask this to every cannabis uh, CEO I meet with. Yeah, I say, look, I'm just an investor. You know, uh, you know, we're just reading financials and we're sitting in an ivory tower looking down, right? What don't I understand? What don't I know? And a common theme that we get back is that everything is really, really hard in cannabis. And if you think about it, like they're doing something completely new yeah right um even though growing cannabis has been around forever, yeah it hasn't been done in this fashion at industrial scale right in in these like specialty um uh buildings with all this regulation yeah, no pesticides right that's who does that yeah, completely new right raising capital is so everything is difficult, super right. super difficult mm-hmm. uh so the I would say as an investor, you should be aware of that yeah. And you should understand that the odds are sometimes stacked against these companies, for sure. For sure, and you need—that's why the right market is so important because it puts the odds in your favor. Yeah, that's why I like Florida so much. Right, right. I like good good markets like that. Um, and just one thing, going back to this idea of retail investors, I think you should be aware of the fact that, you know, it looks like there's a hundred, hundred and fifty companies available for you to invest in, and you go, oh, look, there's so much choice. There's so many public companies. Uh, especially in the U S the public companies only represent a fraction of the overall market. Right. So you go, Oh, I love beverages. Beverages are going to be huge. Yeah. I'm who, who's got the best beverages. Oh, canopy does Hexo does. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to invest in for the beverages. Right. Right. What you don't understand is that if you could see all the private deals, which we don't even see, we see a tiny fraction of them.
1: No, it's impossible. Yeah, exactly. It's it's
0: impossible to see them all, especially in the U S where there's so many, um, but that gives you a more wholesome picture of like, oh, if I invest in a beverage only company and even one that's doing really well, the valuation is like so much lower than trying to buy this public company.
1: Right. Um, I'm going to take take it one step further, the behind the scenes. I'll answer that that part um, from Zeba's question. Um, Europe has been really quiet. We haven't really talked about it. I've seen rumblings in the last little bit. Um, talked to a couple funds out there and there's this, a story that's sort of playing out. I would say if you were looking at sort of cannabis, you know, Canada was done. U.S. is the next two to five years. Mm -hmm. You'll eventually reach saturation. Europe, I think like three to eight years, you know, making these numbers up, but like that's sort of the time horizons that I've been given by a lot of the industry experts. And what I've been noticing is because they're taking that medical approach Mm -hmm. to cannabis, their whole... Outlook on it is quite different. Mm. Uh, We don't talk about Europe that often. I don't really hear about it that much on, you know, most of the forums, boards, anything that we that we look at. Sure. Um, But there is a story brewing out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It lost some of the sales, or sort of some of the wind in its sails, but Mm -hmm. um, it's coming back. Um, And there's some some compelling arguments. That's that's something you know if you want to think behind the scenes, if you want to think really long term, start looking at the medical rollout in Europe.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not something I'm focused on, but, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about before with, with names as well, right? Like people aren't focused on something until they are, and then everyone yeah. goes there. Yeah. Right? So, you you know, if you can be ahead of the curve, it can be interesting. For sure. Uh, okay. Last question. I saved this one for last. This is from Alderho 10. Uh, and the question is, what do you think, or which do you think are the most undervalued MSOs if there's a Biden win or a blue wave in November? Uh, and mostly he was just, you know, asking about MSOs in general. Like, what's the most undervalued MSO? So I guess first things first. Um, in terms of the election, bringing it back to the theme of this episode, the U.S. election, uh, blue wave would obviously be good. I can, I maintain the Senate is more important than the presidency. So if that flips, like, game on. Like, you're going to really see some interesting stuff. Um, however, you know, Democrats are, they're signaling they're willing to fight on the issue of cannabis. And in politics, you know, the best thing is not even necessarily to for everybody to agree with you. It's for your opponent to try to oppose you on a very popular issue, right? Like cannabis. Yeah. yeah. Right? So so like you see the Pennsylvania governor, he keeps pushing adult legalization. Now, he believes in it. And that's great. But why does he keep pushing it so hard? Because the Republicans are stopping it. Yeah. Right? So this is now an election issue, right? And he'll keep hammering them on this issue and eventually, you know, they're going to relent, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're going to, you know, have to explain it when they go, yeah. you know, for elections, right? Right. So um, I think that that benefits probably all the MSOs. Um, it probably benefits the bigger names the most. Right. Just from a from a liquidity standpoint. Um, but that, that's kind of... There's a split between value and momentum that we've talked about before. Yeah. Right. You can see GTI and Cresco and CuraLeaf and TrueLeaf, uh, but especially the, the first three, really catching fire mm-hmm. if Biden wins uh, in, in November. Right. Right. Um, from the value side, what's the most undervalued? Alan Broxine wrote a great piece on Columbia Care mm-hmm. on the weekend. Uh, and I think he's right. I think this is the the big five MSO and it's being a little overlooked. Mm-hmm. It's got maybe a a billion ish market cap at 1.1. Yeah. You know, you look at the f- footprint of that company. Um, it's still earlier stage, still losing money. Uh, but you look at the footprint of the company and it's phenomenal. Yeah. New Jersey and Arizona, right? Um, uh, New York, Florida, like really really good key markets. Uh, and I think that's I think there's good value there. And if, if I wasn't doing the privates. Like it almost looks to me like a private deal the way it's valued. Columbia Care. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Now, look, they still have a lot of execution. They have to prove they can you know, build out these markets and, and turn it around because they're still losing money right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they've got some nice acquisitions too. They're acquiring one of the top guys in Colorado, one of the top guys in California. So that'll bring a lot of expertise in-house. Mm-hmm. And, and they're getting a very good deal from an EBITDA perspective. Yeah. So you put all those things together. And uh, from a value perspective, that's quite exciting.
1: Right, I, I, I would I would go back to your original point. The big four would get the most love, uh, mainly because you know they've sort of proven. Just if you look at how they've been able to tap the capital markets versus anybody else has been able to tap the capital markets, uh, even prior to this whole election, you know people are investing in the big four. Um, they're not having difficult time raising capital. They've proven out their strategy. Um,
0: so, yeah, you know, I mean, truly raised you know ninety million or something. Exactly, know, like
1: and that's just tough. Tough to do. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I don't think anybody else can do that. Like no, they I, can't.
0: I, I, only the big four. Like I don't think anybody yeah. else can do a six figure raise. No, sorry, n- nine figure raise. Nine figure. Yeah, yeah.
1: It, no, I, I don't think so. And I and I think if you know an election was was to happen, it would be a momentum play as opposed to a value play. Yeah, um, great point. And so with that, you know, in momentum investing things, uh, when someone beats, it's amplified, right? right. Yep. So mm-hmm. a capital raise, a successful capital raise like that is a beat in my books, I think those are the guys who are, who are going to get the, most, the love. most love. Yeah. 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 And, and now, I mean, right. will, will their valuations, um, will, will their price run up from their valuations? Maybe.
0: Yeah. Th- this also uh, relates to, uh, Eric's question about like, don't sell the winners. Um, and you know, I'm always trying to, for better or for worse, I'm always trying to find value and do something clever. Right. And sometimes the cleverest thing is just to buy the biggest name and wait, right? Like sometimes that can have the best result. Yeah. But that's just not really my style. Right. Right. And so I'm acknowledging what we just said about momentum, the importance of momentum. Mm-hmm. That's why I bought, turbine GTI, right? Because I was like, look, good company. I can, you know, it's not an unreasonable valuation. Right. Um, And, you know, I, I know that this will get a lot of love. Right. Right. If If things pick up, right? Right. But where I find a lot of value, so, like, names like Columbia Care, the private MSOs that we've talked about and, you know, we'll probably – you guys will see come public next year. Um, also, the single-state operators. Mm-hmm. Like, those – those. there's a lot of, like, one-off – not a lot, but there's a couple of one-off guys who are kind of unloved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and any operator in Florida I can, <laughs> I can look at and get at the right price. Right. I'm interested. Yeah. Right, because um, ultimately – Election, election or no election, I don't think you're going to see a lot of money flow to, you know, Liberty Health Sciences, right, right, or or Bloomer Wellness, which is one plant. I don't think those guys are going to get a ton of love from the election. No. Um, but like that's a business I can understand. I can see yeah, where it's fundamentally, going. Fundamentally, it makes sense. Yeah, right. I can I can get excited about that. Um, and it's something where I go, hey, if I can make two, three x my money in three years, four years, mm-hmm. it's just an easier bet for me to make than just betting on the momentum of the election right? But to answer the question, big MSOs will get the love. Some of these smaller guys are more value. Columbia, Columbia care is probably a nice mix of both. GTI is also a nice mix of both. Right on. Okay, guys, that is answering questions on the US elections. Guys, thanks so much for sending the questions in CIN at gmail.com. Until next time.